Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. Should the city use money from the sale of the Sitka Community Hospital site to build a marine haul out at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park? Voters may decide this fall. When the Sitka Assembly met last night, it approved the ballot question on first reading. This spring, the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, or SEARCH, bought the hospital property for just over $8 million. The money from the sale was transferred to the Sitka Permanent Fund, and if approved by the voters, the same amount would be taken out to fund construction of the haulout. It's been over two years since the haulout that served Sitka's fishing fleet at Halibut Point Marine announced it would be shutting its doors. Since then, the city has tried to secure grants to fund a haulout. They've sought proposals from the private sector and leased a lot to a grassroots group with plans to develop a community boatyard. But so far, a haulout hasn't materialized, and the fleet has been without a local option since this spring. On Monday, the Gary Paxton Industrial Park Board threw its unanimous support behind the ordinance. And while most Assembly members were on board with sending the question to the voters, some voiced concerns that removing around $8 million from Sitka's permanent fund would result in a loss of revenue for the next couple of decades. Assemblymember Kevin Knock pushed for an amendment requiring the lost interest, around $340,000 a year, to be repaid, but it was ultimately withdrawn. The Assembly voted 6-1 to one with Knox opposed to put the haul-out vote on the municipal election ballot this fall. It will come to the Assembly for a second reading at the next regular meeting. We'll have more coverage of the, Alaska's, of the Assembly's haul-out discussion on Raven News tonight at 518. The U.S. Forest Service is proposing to restore land on an island in the Tongass National Forest that has been logged in past decades. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, the federal agency wants this 23,000 acres of developed land to match the wilderness area that surrounds it. Cube Cove is on the northwest side of Admiralty Island. The area was heavily logged, mostly by clear-cut in the 1980s and 90s by Shi Attica, Sitka's native corporation. The U.S. Forest Service bought the land for just over $18 million, completing the deal in 2020. Sheatica had done some reclamation work after the logging, but the Forest Service wants to finish it up. Admiralty Island is a special and unique place, <laughs> every inch of it anyways. That's Marcy Johnson, a wildlife and fisheries biologist with the Forest Service. Certainly some unique characteristics with the concentration of brown bears and eagle nests uh, and a lot of intact old-growth forests throughout the island. Before the federal purchase, it was the largest privately owned land surrounded by a federal wilderness area. It's now joined that protected area known as Kutznuu Wilderness, which makes up most of Admiralty Island. She Attica did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Because of past logging, there are many remaining roads, bridges, and culverts. The Forest Service proposes removing three large steel bridges and culverts that would affect fish passage. They also want to remove or modify some of the roadbeds that might affect water flow. Johnson says there is a coho salmon run and trout in the streams. So eventually this type of infrastructure does fail and it could become a fish passage issue and water quality issue. The federal agency is also proposing to thin some of the new growth trees to allow space for larger ones to grow, especially around waterways. 
when you don't have these large trees growing around these streams, you don't have that temperature control, and you also don't have this large wood material that ends up in the creeks as good fish habitat. There are two federally managed recreational cabins on site that see visitors. Johnson says that the driving force behind the restoration project is preserving the wild character of the land, now and in the future. Providing that wilderness experience in, say, a visitor in 300 years is still important, too. A few years ago, a pilot project removed a large culvert on a fish-bearing stream near a lake in the area. It was run by the Southeast Alaska Watershed Coalition with help from an Angoon youth program. The village of Angoon is south of Cube Cove on the western shore. Its residents have lived on Admiralty Island as long as anyone knows, and subsistence fish and hunt there. Charles James is the tribal administrator. We put up fish to last us the winter. We can our fish, we smoke it. James doesn't know if any residents go near the logged areas now, but he says restoring the land makes sense. I think it would be nice to have those trees and stuff growing back and get all that stuff out of there. The Forest Service plans to do more field work this summer to fine-tune the details of the project, such as what tools and equipment will be needed. They are taking public comment on the proposal through July 22nd. They expect all the work to be completed within five years. It's unknown how much the restoration will cost and what partnerships might help fund it, but it's been identified as a priority project by the Tongass National Forest. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Nearly six tons of marine debris collected from a remote island were offloaded in Ketchikan last week. As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, the debris is bound for recycling in Seattle, but researchers hope it could also shed light on the kinds of garbage that find their way into the ocean. Crews are hauling enormous cloth bags full of garbage off of the fishing vessel Polar Lady, 11,500 pounds in all. It all came from Forrester Island. That's an uninhabited islet 40 or so miles southwest of Prince of Wales Island, known as Gascu in the Haida language. Kit Cunningham is a technician with the State Department of Fish and Game's Marine Mammal Program and a graduate student at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. She's studying the garbage as part of a research project for her thesis. I want to know where the debris is coming from and how long it's been in the water. And one way we're kind of looking into that is, is if there's any growth on the marine debris. That growth is known as biofouling. Things like algae, barnacles, and the like can offer clues about the origin of marine debris that washes ashore. Cunningham's latest trip to the island comes after she participated in a study of the island's stellar sea lions last year. Always been a, a, quite a bit of trash and marine debris out there, so um, it was kind of the perfect candidate. The work was funded by a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration grant program. Cunningham and two crews, working in shifts, spent just over a month picking up trash on the island. But why does so much debris pile up on this particular island in the North Pacific? Cunningham says the location may have something to do with it. Something that I'm still learning about right now, but I would guess that, so since it's it's along the continental shelf and the a lot of currents go past through there, um, there's actually some really cool photos of storms rolling in and, and Forrester Gusku is the first thing that they hit. So I think just a lot of currents and storms, it's kind of a perfect catching spot. Among the debris were a few glass buoys and bottles. One even had a note inside. Um, it was actually someone writing to a loved one who had passed um, and just 
expressing a lot of, yeah, love and appreciation for that person. But perhaps more interesting to Cunningham are the plastics, mostly old buoys, bottles, and styrofoam. She says her research into the debris could last into next summer. She will try and determine what kind of plastics were most common on the island. But she's not just studying the trash. While she was on the island, Cunningham collected the vomit samples from seabirds and fecal samples from the stellar sea lions. She'll be sending those samples to a professor to see if there are any microplastics in the animal's diets. If there are, she says she wants to learn if it's the same kind of plastic found on the island. She says she's expecting results later this year. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. This is the last week to register to vote before Alaska's August 16th primary election and the special election for U.S. House. Potential voters must register by July 17th in order to participate in the elections, which will take place on the same day. Voters will not automatically receive a ballot in the mail for the August 16th election, but can request one. Registration is available online or in person by filling out a voter registration application at the Sika Municipal Clerk's Office on Lincoln Street or at the Division of Motor Vehicles. To request a ballot by mail for the August 16th election, apply online before August 6th. Early voting will begin August 1st at locations across the state. On Election Day, August 16th, polls will be open in Sitka at Harrigan Centennial Hall. The primary election ballot will include State House, State Senate, and U.S. House and U.S. Senate candidates. Voters will be asked to pick one candidate for each race. The winners of the primary election will advance to the November general election. On the back side of the ballot will be the special U.S. House election featuring Sarah Palin, Nick Begich, and Mary Peltola. Voters will be asked to rank all three candidates in order of preference. The winner of the special U.S. House election will represent Alaska in Congress until January. According to the nonpartisan Alaska Beacon, most Alaskans are already registered to vote. State law calls for anyone who applies for a permanent fund dividend or Alaska driver's license to be registered unless they're ineligible or specifically opt out. New arrivals in the state are most likely to be the ones needing to register. Alaskans turning 18 and those who have had their voting rights restored after probation may also need to register. And the city and borough of Juneau needs to make good on its plans to combat the local effects of climate change. That's one of the takeaways from a climate report released on Monday. The study, undertaken by a research center at the University of Alaska Southeast, is meant to inform citizens and serve as a baseline information for city leaders. Jim Powell is a UAS research professor and its lead author. There are two messages. One, there are many impacts. Two, we are doing something about it. For a small community, that's pretty impressive. The study was made possible by volunteer effort for more than two dozen Alaska scientists, most of whom live in Juneau. Funding came from the city and borough of Juneau and the Department of the Interior. And that's all.